You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. What is an insider threat? Loosely, it's a threat that operates from within your organization. We'll hear shortly from some experts who'll talk us through the different ways insider threats manifest themselves. But consider, as you listen to what they have to say, that even the clearest forms of insider threat, the rogue, the turncoat, the sellout, the traitor, the reckless eccentric, those aren't always easy to spot, even when you know what to look for. If it were easy, would the FBI have taken so long to realize that Richard Hansen was spying for the Russians? Years after another special agent laid out all the classic signs of someone who'd been recruited by a hostile service. Would NSA have let Hal Martin walk out the gates of Fort Meade with a terabyte of highly classified information? How did the Cambridge Five pull the wool over the eyes of MI5 and MI6? None of these agencies are notably inept, inattentive, ill-informed, or poorly resourced. And if they failed, what hope do the rest of us have? In this CyberWire special edition, our UK correspondent Carol Terrio speaks with three industry experts who give us reason to hope. Stay with us. So I kept reading about insider threats. These are the threats that are born from within the organization. And I wanted to learn more about these people, people that seem to put the organization at risk. Are they all bad apples, so to speak? Or are they people just like you and me who occasionally do something that doesn't follow the security protocol? Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com 
slash cyber. First things first, let's define what our experts mean by insider threats. Let's hear from Dr. Richard Ford, Chief Scientist at Forcepoint. Right. So I don't even like the name, actually. I think one of the reasons that these programs are not often as successful as they uh, they could be is because of that name, Insider Threat, which sort of summons up these pictures of shady operators hanging around the water cooler doing dark deeds. Most insider threats are perfectly well-meaning employees that end up doing something foolish or getting convinced to do something foolish that compromises your data or your security in some way. So to me, an insider threat is the threats that emanate from within, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're malicious. So if I stole your username and password, for example, um, or I got you to give it to me, in some sense, you're an insider threat. You're an accidental insider. And then you have these malicious insiders. And when, when you hear the name insider threat program, you think of malicious insider. But in fact, what you tend to find is a lot of accidental insiders who you can help along to not being accidental insiders. Forcepoint are not alone in categorizing insider threats. After all, mitigation against these threats depends on the company being able to foresee what risk each threat type presents to the company. Here's MC, the VP of product at insider threat specialist firm Observe IT. So at a high level, I would break it down into three kinds of insiders. The first one is just users like you and me who come to work with a good intent, uh, hardworking, go back to home, family, friends. But at some point, you know, we may do some negligent things. So, for example, taking a printout so that you can read it on the train ride back home or sending a sensitive file so that you can work over the weekend. So we call them as negligent insiders. The second kind of category is where rogue insider, the small within the mix, uh, has a bad intent and is actually, for whatever reasons, maybe financial, maybe ideological, uh, maybe some kind of bad performance review, some kind of a personal stress situation in the mix to begin with, ends up stealing doing something that they shouldn't do. So we'll call that as the malicious insider. And then there is a third category that people don't think about which is people falling victim to uh, a phishing email coming from outside and they end up compromising their credentials. We call them as a compromise insider. So kind of these three in the mix uh, that we've started to see in companies uh, you know, across our customer base and different enterprises. Uh, just from the get-go, I don't think you have to like treat your employees like adversaries all of the time. <laughs> uh, that would make for a terrible work environment, <laughs> and and that's probably not not the the greatest thing to do. This is Tom Beardsley, director of research at Rapid Seven. Uh, um, but the thing with with insider threat controls is that uh, what you're really targeting almost always are you know attackers like who are from the outside that manage to get access as an insider. So like, for example, let's say I you know, send employees like a phishing link or something and uh, they you know, download a Word doc and get popped by like a Word macro or something like that. And now I have control uh, from the inside, from their workstation using their own user account. And now I can start acting like as an outsider, I can start acting like an insider, right? Like I've, already, I've, I've breached that perimeter. Um, and I think that's where the most value you get from, from thinking about insider threats. It's not so much like 
the people that you trust, but it's the user accounts that you trust. So what all these experts are telling us is that insider threats are a problem, that there are different types of insider threats from the malicious, such as a disgruntled employee wanting revenge, to the inadvertent, like the newbie in accounts who gets duped into handing over confidential info to an attacker. It all sounds a bit 1984, doesn't it? Surely there are organizations out there who poo-poo the idea of internal monitoring, citing that they trust their employees. Dr. Richard Ford at Forcepoint. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely met with CISOs who've said, but we love our employees. Well, you're also helping keeping them safe, right? Because also, you know, if you, have, if you do somehow accidentally get a wolf in that flock, that wolf can do an awful lot of damage. And in this current sort of threat environment in which we live, where you have to think about things like nation states, I think most companies should recognize that they are potentially a target, you know, if only as a stepping stone for something else. So there will be occasional employees, and they are very much the, the exception, not the rule, who enter your company or even apply for that job with the whole intent of abusing the company in some way. Think also that we tend to use the lens of cybersecurity when we think about this. The lens of fraud is a much better lens, right? So there's this whole concept of fraud, which is perpetrated by employees, and now that all involves something cyber, pretty much, right? So these sort of worlds are merging. It used to be fairly separate, but now the footprints of those fraudulent transactions or those fraudulent acts often exist in the cyber space, and that's why you can find them and shut them down. And that's something that's good for all the other employees in the company. So again, I, I think the name gives us this sort of glass half empty thing, um, and the glass is really rather full indeed. It, it's quite a positive thing when it's done right. I asked MC at Observe IT the same question. You don't want to uh, come across as a big brother watching the employees or contractors. That's not the norm, right? That's not the, that's not the intent. The intent is actually secure the corporation, secure the employees, uh, make sure it's a friendly working environment. So uh, transparency as you uh, implement these programs, communication through HR, to cybersecurity, physical, through ethics, audit compliance, everybody in the mix, through executive teams, uh, is very important because this is not a big brother watching, this is actually with a good intent. As tech and processes increase in complexity and user interfaces streamline and simplify, I can't see how the average user can be expected to be the be-all and end-all in stopping attacks that prey on insiders. I asked Todd Beardsley from Rapid7 if cyber training was even worth it anymore. Imagine uh, someone named Martha who works in finance and doesn't really care about computing. They are a great route in for a threat, but can we arm her, even if she's not interested in it, in a way that can help protect the company? For sure, yeah. People who are not like technologists, who, are, who aren't like security dorks, you know, um, people who uh, are, are just regular people are aware, uh, much more aware today than they were even two or three years ago of like the threat of phishing and like what actually happens. Um, you know, the, the threat of, you know, someone is pretending to be who they're not on email to try to get you to open a document or click a link or give up a password or something like that, right? Like that, that kind of attack, um, is now pretty well known. Um, and, and I do think that there are some things that companies can do to, help train up their employees to kind of spot these scams and figure out like 
who's more likely to click on on nastiness, you know, th things like that. Um, but I do think that people are are more sophisticated today, um, mainly because it's been in the news a lot, right? Like over the last couple of years, we hear a lot about like Russian fishing, right? And uh, people people hear that in their in their regular day to day, and uh, I do think people are are more aware of it, which is good. Um, I don't think people like hang out on the internet like just consumed by fear all the time. I do think companies can can do awareness training um, of like this is what a phishing link looks like, and when your email client like has the the big red warning saying like this is someone whose name you know but is coming from a different email address, you know those kind of warnings that we're seeing more and more especially in services like uh, Google App Suite and, and other like kind of Outlook 365 and all those other um, kind of cloud-based email services. Um, I do think people are seeing those and react and they, they may be confused about it. And so that's where like the, the, the enterprise can step in and like explain like what's going on and what does this look like. And, and then after that, like follow up with training. Like it's a, it's a great training exercise to fish your own employees. Um, and then tabulate like who clicked on the link and who could use like who who should should watch the the training video you know things like that. Um, I think that goes a, a real long way. Does Dr. Richard Ford from Forcepoint think that cyber training can help? I'm going to say yes, but right um, because obviously yes, awareness is really important and generating awareness is super important. So that's the yes part. Here's the but part. The but part is that, that we are what I would call task-centric cognitive misers. What I mean is that, you know, when you're trying to accomplish something, you're, you're going to spend as little time as possible thinking about other things while you think about that task. And, and the fact that you're a task-centric cognitive miser is exactly what a social engineer will use to get you out of your game. I mean, there's a lot of different techniques that, that can be used, right? But it'll be something urgent. It'll be something where you're sort of trying to help somebody out. So one thing that, that an attacker will do is sort of trying to get you on their side often. Oh, can you help me out? My boss is going to yell at me if I don't get this thing done. And they do that by building a, a small relationship with you. Um, that's why actually the phone can be so deadly because it's much harder to say no by phone sometimes than by email. Because I actually have a nice collection of calls where I have answered and have a bunch of virtual machines that people can log into and uh, try and uh, poke around. It's quite enjoyable. You know, social norms, right? So bending or relying on social norms and politeness, these things are very effective. A simple example would be, you know, when I used to do physical pen testing, Showing up at a company on crutches or with your foot in a boot on crutches is great because everybody holds the door open for you. It doesn't matter that your badge, therefore, doesn't work. You wave a photocopy of a badge around, um, and nobody's going to make you take it off and actually use it on the proximity sensor. It's a very effective, very simple technique. So awareness works well to try and build up the defenses of your users that are, you know, just need training. But if you're a bad agent inside an organization, of course, they're not going to take any heed to that. So I guess this is where technology comes in. That's right. So I, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of the idea. Never send a person to do something that technology can do for you. And so there's a lot of things that you can do with behavioral analytics that you can do with um, you know, effective but privacy-preserving sort of monitoring that can, that can not only detect fraud 
or detect misbehavior. You can actually predict fraud or predict misbehavior. So these sort of predictive analytics that get ahead of the threat are really important. But there's also an element which sort of makes somebody think twice about, you know, testing the bounds of the system when they know that there's a program in place. So what I'm hearing is that cyber training is important, but it is a component, not the whole answer. Here's Todd Beardsley from Rapid7 on whether technology can help reduce the exposure to insider risks. For sure. There, there is an email control uh, called DMARC, uh, which stands for Domain Message Authentication Reporting and Conformance. It's a, it's a long acronym. Um, so we just say DMARC. Um, and what DMARC does is it, these are signals you can put in your DNS records. Um, so like if you're... I don't know, rapid7.com, right? Um, and you can say you can say on the domain registrations, like, these are the entities that are allowed to impersonate rapid7.com. Because email actually doesn't have a bunch of these built-in controls. You have to, you have to kind of uh, bolt them on. Um, but DMARC is pretty easy to do for, for IT folks. Um, it's pretty easy. It's pretty low cost. Um, and all it does is make it obvious when someone is impersonating uh, you know, an insider as an outsider. And so uh, something like that goes a real long way. So that's a technology, for example, that can help, you know, just either flag email that is that is suspicious or just or just, you know, kick it off to the to the trash bin, like don't ever deliver it. Here's MC from Observe IT on how technology can be used to mitigate this insider threat. But at the core of it is, is three things. One is visibility, very important you to know what your users do, what applications do they browse, what is their behavior on the, uh, on the desktops, on the servers, on the machines, mobile phones that they access and they use to access the corporate environment. That is very important. So we call it visibility. You need to know what is happening. Second, in terms of what you build up on the technology front, if you want to catch the threats before they happen in real time, you have to move into this notion of proactive uh, and more predictive security, so you can actually see the threat scenarios, uh, we call that detection, before they happen in real time. So you can actually take an action and understand the intent, uh, you know, of the user involved. Uh, so that is very important. And third thing that technology brings to bear is something called response. When it comes to inside threats, just because of the sensitivity of the data involved, uh, of the durability needed in the process with various functions, unlike a ransomware or a malware. So uh, you've got to bring that into context, and technology helps pretty much automate a lot of these things now as, as we look at inside threats as, as a much bigger threat scenario. I wondered how our experts saw the future. I asked them to look at their crystal balls and see what they saw coming in the next few years with respect to insider threats. And i got to warn you, this is typically not an expert's favorite question. I actually like this question, right? So, so I think, first of all, there's almost nothing that we see happening today that, that we didn't see 100 years ago in its sort of underlying mechanisms, right? Now, the, the medium has changed, the methods have changed, but the motives and the ways of sort of thinking about it haven't really changed at all from the old confidence tricks of old. So in that sense, I think that th these kind of things will be around for as long as there are people around. I think technology in some ways makes it easier because it's easier. I mean, the amount of power you can wield on one terminal is absolutely amazing. So 
technology helps this stuff scale up, potentially. We don't recognize, for example, the cache value of the information that might be on a single laptop. Whenever, I, whenever I'm traveling out of the country with my work laptop, I always stop and think about the actual value of the information that's stored on it, and it's always quite shocking to me. But most companies you know, don't pay a lot of attention to the, to the value that any individual user might have accrued in terms of intellectual property in their devices. And I think it, you, know, you start to start to view the world differently when you think about the amount of trust you're placing in, your, in, in those users. There's a set of technology known as user behavior analytics. And so what that does is that you are essentially profiling all of your users. You get a sense of like when they log in and from where do they log in? Like, do they, are they always logged in like locally in the office or do they, do you have like a work at home set of, set of employees or do you have like international employees, you know, people who normally log in from some, someplace else. With user behavior analytics, you can start collecting these things um, and then notice when a user account starts behaving very strangely, like they're logging in at weird times of day or they're logging in from you know, some country that you don't do business in, or they start talking to a lot of computers, uh, local computers that they don't normally ever talk to. Like, you're, like Martha in finance usually talks to finance computers, you know, like she'll log into, you know, whatever the, the, the accounting software is, you know, if that's, even if that's cloud-based. Um, if she starts, you know, running around and pinging like every workstation on her, on her, uh, on, on the floor, like on the local network, like that's weird for Martha, right? Martha's not known to be a hacker. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that you can alert on, and and the IT security group would would see this alert and like know that something's up with, maybe not something's up with Martha, but something is up with Martha's user account. You take a step back and and start thinking: what are the core elements that help you build an insider threat program, or how do you tackle insider threats in your corporation? And it comes down to fundamentally three things: first is the people, you know, it's all about the people when it comes to insider threats. Second is the, the process and policies that come along with it. And third is the technology bit. So it is that age-old trifecta, people, processes, and technology, which all need to be accounted for when building a defense strategy against insider threats. You want your people on the lookout. You want a reliable policy in place in a cyber emergency. And you want the right technology to secure all your efforts. My deep thanks to our three insider threat experts, MC, VP at Observe IT, Dr. Richard Ford, Chief Scientist at Forcepoint, and Tom Beardsley, Director of Research at Rapid7. This was Carol Terrio for the CyberWire. We note in closing that perhaps we should distinguish insider threats, the spies, the embezzlers, and the IP thieves, from the people our experts call the well-intentioned insiders, hardworking and committed colleagues who make mistakes or find themselves taken advantage of. Calling them, perhaps, vulnerable insiders. All of us are vulnerable insiders. It's not that Martha in finance, Nigel in HR, or Nikita in engineering are untrustworthy. Rather, it's that they need their organization's help to stay safe. And since, as Dr. Ford said, the real threat hasn't changed fundamentally in centuries, only updated its technology, the wisest course seems to be this help your people remember that fraud, deceit, and compromise are always with us, and help them look through the sheep's clothing to see the wolf beneath. Our thanks to Carol Terrio for producing this CyberWire special edition. For everyone here at the CyberWire, I'm Dave Bittner. 
Thanks for listening. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.